Welcome back to Community Pulse on Radio 786 and 100.4 FM. If you've just tuned in, we bring you part one of our discussion in which we ask the question is celebrating Mawlud Aibida. In studio with me is Sheikh Imran Mulaji as well as Sheikh Yasin Adam who are teachers as well as imams at the Tayyiba Institute based in Lansdowne. We continue with our discussion. Your comments, inputs and questions are more than welcome via WhatsApp on 0786101112. This is part one of our discussion. We now take a look at the origins of Mawlud. Bismillah. So, Alhamdulillah, we've established now that Mawlud was not celebrated in the time of the Prophet Wasallam. It was not celebrated in the, basically, the first three generations of Islam. Mm-hmm. So, where does Mawlud come from? And the Mawlud was first innovated by an extremely misguided group known as the Faltimids. Mm-hmm. And although they are correctly known as the Ubaidis because they actually have no links to Fatima radiallahu anha. They claim that they were from her lineage, but upon investigation this is an absolute lie. They were on clear disbelief, as will be mentioned in a moment. And an important point to take note of is that this innovation that they brought with regards to Mawlud or the start of the Mawlid only happened 400 years after Hijrah. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi was long gone. The Tabi'een, the Sahaba, many of the great Imams of this Ummah have passed on already. None of them knew about this concept known as Milad or Mawlid. Then we find that in the dynasty, it ended or they ended in the year 561 after Hijrah when their last ruler was killed by Salahuddin al-Ayyubi rahimallahu ta'ala. Now what is always important in Islam is that we need to have proof or we need to know what we are speaking about. So this is recorded in the books of tarikh, in the books of history. And obviously time does not allow us to go into which books was written or by who was it written, but there are books that explains this history. I would like to just touch on one or two important points with regards to this group known as the Ubaidiyah or the Ubaidis. Their leader was Ibn Ubaidullah. So some of the beliefs was that they claimed to have knowledge of the unseen and this belongs to Allah Azza wa Jal only. As Allah says, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the keys of the unseen. They also claimed certain prophethood and divinity. They also cursed and they reviled the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. How did they do this? They would write evil words about the Sahaba and this would be written on the doors of the Masajid and in the streets. Another important point that I would like to highlight, and this is my last point, it is reported that in the year 625, the ruler of Irbil, Al-Mudhafar Abu Sa'id Al-Kawkaburi Al-Turkamani, he celebrated the Mawlid and it is mistakenly believed that he was the first one to initiate this. Mm -hmm. Now what's important to know about him that this was the first Sunni, was the first scholar from Ahlu Sunnah, or the first Sunni, 
to celebrate the Mawlud. Mm-hmm. So whatever celebrations took place before him, this was done by the Ubaidis or the certain sects of the Shia. Mm-hmm. So this is something important that we need to understand as well. So this is 600 years, right? Or over 600 years after the demise of Rasulullah mm-hmm. sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And I think that there's always a very important point to note. People assume Mawlud's always been there. Mm-hmm. It's not always been there. The, the best moments of Islam, there was no Mawlud. They, they didn't even know what's a Mawlud. Mm-hmm. So this is a latter-day innovation. This is the clearest proof that it's an innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's, a, there's obviously, you know, the Mawlud supporters have their reasons which they argue you know, as to why they celebrate Mawlid. And I think it's important that we maybe address some of these misconceptions. So, for example, what what people need to understand is there's one of two paths that you can argue to legislate your opinion. It's to take the first path, which is to acknowledge that Mawlid is a bid'ah. And this is what most scholars will tell you. Scholars that they quote like Ibn Hajar, As-Suyuti, and other great imams, all of them affirm that it's a it's a bid'ah, but it's a good bid'ah. Right? So this is the one path that they can potentially take is to argue it's a good bid'ah. Mm-hmm. The other path that they can take is to say it's not a bid'ah. It's not a bid'ah, but it is legislated. It's mm-hmm. part of the religion. Mm-hmm. Now, people should not be contradicting these two paths. Because if you say it's a good bid'ah, then that means you acknowledge there's no evidence for it. Okay. If you say it's part of the religion, and you shouldn't be quoting the scholars who say it's a good bid'ah. Understand? Mm-hmm. So if you say it's a good bid'ah, don't quote us evidences from the Quran and Sunnah. Because that means it's not a bid'ah. So don't contradict yourself, you know. Choose your path. Is it a good bid'ah? Okay. Or is it legislated? Then prove it with clear evidence. Okay. Clear evidence. Not some strange ayah that doesn't even talk about mawlud. Mm-hmm. Or some hadith that has nothing to do with mawlud. And so forth. So this is the first challenge is to bring us... Choose your path and then stick to that bone. Don't contradict yourself, right? Because mm-hmm. most of the time people contradict. They, one day it's good bid'ah, one day it's legitimate, one day it's fard, one day it's sunnah, one day it's wajib. You know, Allah musta'an. Secondly, regarding good bid'ah, we've already clarified that the Prophet never mentioned good bid'ah. He only warned us against bid'ah in general and he made no exception to this. The same with the Sahaba, they made no exception to this. Abdullah ibn Umar said, every good, every bid'ah is evil, even if the people say it is good, right? But what people use is the statement of Umar ibn Khattab. Umar ibn Khattab, he made a statement and he said, what a good innovation this is. Now, again, this has to be understood in this context. What happened? Umar came in the masjid in Ramadan and he found people praying tarawih in pockets. And he said, no, instead of this, let's all pray behind one imam. And when he did this, he looked at the jama'ah and he said, what a good thing this is. Now the question is, what did Umar mean when he said this word? Did he mean that something was added to the religion? Mm-hmm. Of course not. This is the sunnah that he actually put into place. So he, therefore the scholars explain that the, worst, the usage here was in a linguistic sense, not in a technical sense. That's why it's very important to understand definitions. So what Umar meant was is, this is a good thing that I started. And that's what the word bid'ah means linguistically. But he did not mean this in the technical sense, which is the part which we, which we say is not permissible. The same with Imam Shafi'i, rahimahullah, he also said that bid'ah is of two types, praiseworthy and blameworthy. The scholars have explained what he meant by this. Ibn Hajar, a great imam of hadith, uh, Shafi'i scholar as well, he said that 
the usage of the people of by the scholars when they specifically speak about what's blameworthy is used in the technical sense and when they speak about it in a good way they mean it in the linguistic sense so this was not a shafi did not believe in good bid'ah <laughs> in fact there's a hadith where Muawiyah radiallahu anhu sahabi is making tawaf and he's touching the Kaaba all around and Abdullah bin Abbas sees this and says to him why are you touching the Kaaba in the places which the Prophet didn't touch <laughs> so he said but this is the house of Allah no, no part of the house should be abandoned this makes logical sense Abdullah bin Abbas quoted in the ayah and said, Indeed, in the message of Allah, you have the best example. Muawiyah mm-hmm. immediately accepted this and said, You've spoken the truth. Ash-Shafi comments on this and he says, This is why we follow the Sunnah fi'lan wa tarkan. We do what they did and we stay away from what they did not do. He didn't say you can do whatever is good, you have a good intention. So the notion that he believed in good bid'ah has no basis uh, is, and is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Also, what's the criterion? How do we distinguish who chooses what's good and what's bad? Mm-hmm. You know, for example, Suyuti says Mawlid is a good bid'ah, but he says Salatul Raghaib is a bad bid'ah. So what makes that Salah bad, but this is good? Mm-hmm. There's no criterion in the Quran and Sunnah, hence we stick to what the Hadith says, all is bad and there's no such thing as good because there's no evidence for this. Regarding, some people will argue, love. We do this out of love, mm-hmm. right? Our response to this is very simple. If you love the Prophet ﷺ, follow his Sunnah. And don't do what he did not do. In fact, he warned us against bid'ah. So how can we do that which is a bid'ah and then say this is out of love? Mm. So our view is we love the Prophet so much that we, not, we refuse to celebrate his birthday. That it's out of love that we do not celebrate it because this would go against his teachings. Mm-hmm. And to oppose his teachings cannot be love. Imam Shafi rahimahullah said, if your love is sincere, you would have obeyed him. For the lover obeys the one whom he loves. Mm-hmm. This is true love. This is true love. And then, to top it off, who loved him the most? His wives, his children, his grandsons, his sahaba. What did they do for him? Things we could never have done for him. Mm -hmm. Did they celebrate his maulid? Not once. Not in his life, not after his life. In fact, they did not even document his day that he was born. Meaning, we don't know when he was born. There's great ikhtilaf. Was it the 12th? Was it the 9th? Was it the 10th? Was it the 11th? Abdul Qadir Jilani says it was the 10th of Muharram. Some scholars say this is Ramadan. When was his birthday? Mm-hmm. How do you then, you know? But what we do know is he died on the 12th of Rabi'ul Awal, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Maybe Sheikh Yasin can continue on the issue of. So continue. Okay. Some people use the hadith that the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was asked, Why do you fast on a Monday? And he mentioned, This was the day I was born, and it's the day I received revelation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Firstly, what does this hadith prove to us? Number one, fasting on a Monday is Sunnah. This has nothing to do with celebrating a birthday every year. This is a weekly Sunnah to be practiced. Secondly, Sunnah not just on a Monday but a Thursday. So if you want to act upon this hadith and fast every Monday and Thursday, this hadith has nothing to do with celebrating a birthday. Right? Why did he fast? Out of gratitude to Allah because he was born on this day and because he received revelation. And a third reason, he says in another hadith, deeds are presented on Monday and Thursday. Our deeds go up and are presented in the heavens on a Monday and a Thursday. And I love that my deeds are presented while I'm fasting. Hadith in Tirmidhi and Nasai, it's a Hassan hadith. What does this prove? This is what we're supposed to do. This is why he fasted. 
so that his deeds are presented while he is fasting out of gratitude to Allah because two great things happened on a Monday. He was born and he received wahi. Mm-hmm. But this has no mention of what? Celebrating his birthday. Had this been the case, the Sahaba would narrated the hadith, know it best. They have the most knowledge. They would have acted upon this hadith. Right? So this, this can never be used as an evidence by any sincere researcher. Also, Allah said, قُلْ بِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَبِرَحْمَتِي فَبِذَلِكَ فَلْيَفْرَحُوا Say in the bounty of Allah and in His mercy, let them rejoice. So some people say, well, the Prophet is mercy, so we must rejoice. And therefore, we must celebrate his birthday. This is what you call manipulating the Quranic ayah to suit one's opinion. This is no mention of Mawlud. If you want to rejoice, follow his sunnah. The scholars of tafsir, they say, what's meant by bounty of Allah here is the Quran. And what's meant by mercy is Islam. Rejoice by sticking to the Quran and Islam. It's got no mention of birthday. It's got no mention of this again. Who understood the ayat the best? The Sahaba, the Imams of Tafsir. Not one of them ever used this verse to say, this verse is a proof of Mawlud. And this is the problem with Bid'ah. You see, Bid'ah has many pitfalls. One of the pitfalls Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal himself said, the problem with Bid'ah is the person goes to an extent where he now starts to manipulate the Quran and the Sunnah to suit his desires. So now all of a sudden you need to find a hadith, you need to find a verse that I can use to legitimize this action man mm-hmm. but it's not there so now what do they do they use things out of context they manipulate the, the interpretation and so forth mm-hmm. um, and some people mean yes Maaf, just just on that point Sheikh, there's a question that came in that sort of you know speaks to, to that particular aspect it says Asalaamu Alaikum if we are aware that Mawlud and other actions which are not part of the deen but are rather traditional or cultural practices then is this still considered a bid'ah uh, some like attending the Dikr Jamaat. I just, I've left out a portion of the question because we are not in a position to be able to condemn people and say that you're going to be punished for certain actions. Yes. That is not the point of this discussion. The point of this discussion is to provide you, the listener, with information so that you can draw your own conclusions. Yes. So I've left out, a, I just want to put okay. full disclaimer, I've left out that portion yes. asking if it, these actions are punishable. Yes. Look, whether people will be punished, whether they're going to Jahannam or not, we don't delve into that that's Allah's rule we only speak about what's the ruling right what's the rule is it legitimate is it bid'ah and so forth so culture in Islam is good culture is promoted Mm -hmm. the way we dress the way we eat the way we interact it's cultural this is all permissible but the moment culture oversteps its boundary and it contradicts the Quran and the Sunnah then culture needs to be avoided and the moment culture becomes worship and it becomes an act of worship Mm-hmm. Then it becomes innovation if there's no grounds for it in the in the Quran. So therefore, it's not permissible. In in, in a short, long and short of it, I think one important point to to, to touch on um, before we conclude is people say there's no proof to say it's haram. Mm-hmm. It's a common thing, but where does it say it's haram? The argument should be where does it say it's allowed? Because in Islam, worship must be based upon evidence. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't make up my own act of worship tomorrow. In that case, why do we have the Sunnah? We wouldn't need the sunnah if each person can fabricate his own act of worship. The sunnah is there for us to learn how to worship Allah. And hence the ahadith that we quoted earlier proved whoever does any action that's not in accordance with ours, it's rejected. Mm-hmm. What does this prove? Your worship must be based upon the sunnah. So if you want to prove the worship is legitimate, prove it from the Quran and sunnah. Not from the words of scholars, not from the, what our culture promotes. It must come from the Quran and the sunnah. Mm-hmm. So the answer to this question, where does it say it's haram? 
it's haram because it's a bid'ah. And all bid'ah is impermissible. Mm-hmm. And the Prophet ﷺ, he forbid bid'ah in a general sense. I'll give you a similar example. Where does it say that cocaine is haram? Where does it say that smoking cannabis is haram? There's no hadith. But the Prophet forbid it in a gen. All intoxicants is haram. Mm-hmm. There's no need to mention every single one. The same with bid'ah. There's no need to mention every single innovation that's going to come. No, all bid'ah is haram. Whatever has come that's not from the Quran and Sunnah is not allowed. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. So there's no proof for it to say it's allowed. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be asking, is it, is it, where is the proof it's haram? The proof is there's no, there's no legitimacy for it. Um, maybe we can just conclude by saying the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He said, "By him in whose hand is my soul, I have not left anything which brings you closer to paradise, and distances you from the hellfire, except that I commanded you with it. And I have not left anything which brings you closer to the hellfire and distances you from paradise, except that I have prohibited from you from it." The question here is, did the Prophet encourage us to do maulud? He definitely did not do that. Mm-hmm. So this cannot be part of his sunnah. Did he tell us to avoid it? He told us to avoid bid'ah. So this is part of this hadith. Right? Um, and we can end off, you know, with the statement of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, no. I think is, is appropriate so um, to end off on. Yes, we end off with a statement of one of the great companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. May Allah be pleased with him. He said that whoever wants to follow a path... Let him follow the path of one who has died. For the living are not safe from fitna. I mean the companions of Muhammad, may Allah be pleased with all of them. They were the best of this ummah, the purest in heart and the deepest in knowledge and the most straightforward. Allah chose them to accompany the Prophet peace be upon him and establish his religion. So recognize their status and follow in their footsteps and adhere as much as you can to the example of conduct and attitude for they followed true guidance so we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us and we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that whatever good was said from this that it is from allah and if there were any mistakes in this is from our shortcomings and from the whispers of shaitan Sheikh Yasin, Sheikh Imran, shukran so much for joining me for part one of this particular uh, discussion. Shukran to the listeners um, for your contributions that have been sent through. Once again, the purpose of this discussion is to bring you information so that you are able to make up your own mind. We'll bring you part two of this discussion next week, uh, Friday, inshallah, same time. Same place, of course, on Radio 786 100.4 FM. Sheikh Imran Mulaji, Sheikh Yasin Adam from the Tayyibah Institute. Shukran so much for joining me. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for having us.